Hello and thank you for choosing to listen to this week's message from Spring Hill Baptist Church in Millport, Alabama. We're currently walking through our Redeemer series in the book of Ruth. Our prayer is that this time in God's word would challenge and encourage your heart by seeing Christ the Redeemer as our restorer and provider. God bless. If you have a Bible this morning, please open it to the book of Ruth, Ruth chapter 2. If you don't know where Ruth is, uh, it's pretty early in your Bible. It's a little book, only four chapters. Uh, Once you get to Joshua and then Judges, you'll find Ruth. It's just after the the first five books of the Old Testament there. So go ahead and find Ruth chapter 2. We've been going through Ruth uh, at Spring Hill for the past couple of weeks. It's just a six-week series, and so this is our third week. After this, we'll be halfway through. I know it's short. But uh, I hope that this has already been a blessing to you and to your family and your marriage. Uh, this has certainly been helpful already for me and my walk with the Lord. And so I hope that it is and has been for you. We're looking at Ruth chapter 2 verses 1 through 23 today. What we've seen in this book so far are a lot of things. And we'll kind of recap some of those as we walk through it a little bit. But uh, I'll say something that I've said the past two weeks. And that's that Ruth is more than just a Bible love story, which may be the way that you've learned it before. Uh, Ruth is a story just like the rest of the Bible, about God. It's a story about God. And we've already kind of opened our service and kind of been walking in that direction that we're here because of who God is. Ruth is a story of who God is. It's a story about the hand of God in the book of Ruth. And so more than just seeing characters and plots and stories kind of unfold, those things are important. But those things work toward the purpose of letting us see our great and marvelous God. All right. So we're going to see the hand of God once again in our passage this morning with the objective that we would worship God as a result of who he is. Today, we're going to see that the faith of Ruth collides with the favor of God. And that's a real, you know, fancy way I think of putting it, but really simply put what that means is that our God is awesome and Ruth is a woman of faith. We see Ruth's faith collide with the favor of God. And what we'll see this morning is that the same hand of God that moved in the life of Ruth is the same hand of God that can move and does move in your life every single day. We have a great God. He's been at work for a long time. Today we're going to discover how we can open our eyes and collide with the hand of our God. So let's check it out. Ruth chapter 2. I'm going to read verses 1 through 23, okay? It's quite a bit, so just walk with me. If you don't have your Bible, there's one in the pew in front of you. There's also It's also going to be on the screen behind me, but I hope that you have a translation of God's Word because uh, we're going to walk through it verse by verse this morning, all right? So let's look at it. Chapter 2, verses 1 through 23. This is what God's Word writes in Ruth, chapter 2, verses 1 through 23. Now Naomi had a relative of her husband's, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, Let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after him whose, uh, after him in whose sight I shall find favor. And she said to her, Go, my daughter. So she set out and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers, and she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the clan of Elimelech. And behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem, and he said to the reapers, The Lord be with you. And they answered, The Lord bless you. Then Boaz said to his young man, who was in charge of the reapers, Whose young woman is this? And the servant who was in charge of the reapers answered, She is the young Moabite woman who came with Naomi from the country of Moab. She said, 
Please let me glean and gather among the sheaves after the reapers. So she came, and she has continued from early morning until now, except for a short rest. Verse 8. Then Boaz said to Ruth, Now listen, my daughter, do not go to glean in another field or leave this one, but keep close to my young women. Let your eyes be on the field that they are reaping and go after them. Have I not charged the young men not to touch you? And when you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink the young, what the young men have drawn. Then she fell on her face, bowing to the ground, and said to him, Why have I found favor in your eyes, that you should take notice of me, since I am a foreigner? But Boaz answered her, All that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me. And how you left your father and mother and your native land and came to a people that you did not know before. The Lord repay you for what you have done. And a full reward be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Then she said, I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord. For you have comforted me and spoken kindly to your servant, though I am not one of your servants. And at mealtime, Boaz said to her, Come here and eat some bread and dip your morsel in the wine. So she sat beside the reapers. He passed to her roasted grain, and she ate until she was satisfied. And she had had some left over. When she rose rose to glean, Boaz instructed his young men, saying, Let her glean even among the sheaves, and do not approach her. And also pull out some of the bundles for her, and leave it for her to glean, and do not rebuke her. So she gleaned in the field until evening. Then she beat out what she had gleaned, and it was about an ephah of barley. And she took it up and went into the city. Her mother-in-law saw what she had gleaned. She had also brought out and gave her food she had left over after being satisfied. And her mother-in-law said to her, Where did you glean today? And where have you worked? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. So she told her mother-in-law with whom she had worked and said, The man's name with whom I work today is Boaz. And Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, May he be blessed by the Lord, whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. Naomi also said to her, The man is a close relative of ours, one of our redeemers. And Ruth the Moabite said, Besides, he said to me, You shall keep close by my young men until they have finished all my harvest. And Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, it is good, my daughter, that you go out with his young women, lest in another field you should be assaulted. So she kept close to the young women of Boaz, gleaning until the end of barley and wheat harvests, and she lived with her mother-in-law. <clears throat> now we're, gonna, we're not going to un- unpack every layer of this passage because there's a whole lot of things that are going on, but I do want you to see some of the things in this passage, and hopefully we'll walk away with a greater understanding of who our God is Just to recap over the past couple of weeks, if you haven't been with us, this guy named Elimelech and this woman named Naomi, they were married, okay? And in the passage at the very beginning in chapter 1, we saw that God's people in Israel, they were Israelites from the town of Bethlehem, they were under a famine, meaning that they were without food. And so they fled famine in God's land in favor of plenty in the land of the enemy, a land called Moab. And so they went and sought greener pastures according to their own standards. We saw last week that Naomi feels empty. But really, if we take sort of zoom out and look at this whole thing, Naomi went to Moab, how she would describe herself as full, which she said last week. 
I went away full and I've come back empty. What did she mean by that? She said, I went away with a husband and two sons. I went away with plenty. And when I came back, my husband had died in Moab and both of my sons had died in Moab. And so what we see in her is this fullness to empty, the death of her husband, the death of her sons. And so what we saw last week is that she bitterly went back to Israel. She even said, call me bitter. That's my name now. Call me bitter. Mara, which means bitter. Call me that. She goes back to Israel, which ironically, and in the exact opposite way, God had filled. Remember, Israel began in famine, and then God filled them back up. He visited this land and gave them food. And so while Naomi went from full to empty in her terms, Israel had gone from empty to full. But what we saw at the end of chapter 1 and the beginning of chapter 2 is a little tiny sliver of hope. I want you to see it. Look at chapter 22 in, verse one, in chapter 1 of Ruth. Chapter 1, verse 22 says, So Naomi returned, that is to Israel, and Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law, with her. And check this out. Who returned from the country of Moab, and they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of barley harvest. Okay, so there's, yeah, you may be empty, but now it's time to be filled because there's food here. Look at verse 1. Now Naomi had a relative of her husband's, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. That's an introductory verse. And the reason that I point that out is because what the author is doing is telling us, the readers, what Ruth doesn't know yet. It's a foreshadowing of both provision and of restoration. Hey, it's time for wheat and barley harvest. So yeah, you don't have any food, but it's here. There's hope to be seen. Yeah, you don't have a husband, but guess what? There's this guy named Boaz, and he's a potential redeemer. And so it foreshadows what is to come. Now, there's a part of this passage that is probably a little bit confusing. You saw probably the word, and you heard me say the word several times, the word glean. Listen, I'm a city boy, and Brooke reminds me of that often. I don't have any idea what that word means, and so I had to use Google Magic. You know what I'm saying? I have no clue anything about farming, and so I looked up what it means to glean. What it means to glean is essentially to pick up leftovers. All right, It's to pick up leftovers. And this word is used over and over and over in this passage for a very important reason. What we see in the nation of Israel, and I don't expect you to know this, but just listen for a moment, is something sort of a, a work for welfare program. And it was part of their law. You can read about it in the book of Deuteronomy. Part of their law was that widows, the poor, and the marginalized of society were left the edges of plots of land to go and gather after the reapers their leftovers. And so while it wasn't plentiful harvest, it was something, a way for them to sort of eke by and be fed. <clears throat> Brooke and I used to live in uh, Louisville, Kentucky, and the church that we were a part of did this thing. It was sort of like a, a Christmas shop uh, at Christmas time. What they did was they were loved, they did this as a way to love on the marginalized and, the, and the, those in poverty in our community. People would buy gifts, sometimes expensive gifts, for full retail price, say something cost $100. And then they would donate it to the church to sell to people in our community that did not have as much money as, as maybe other people did. <clears throat> and so you take something that costs maybe $100 and they would mark it down to like 15 Now the reason we did that instead of just giving it away was to say, hey, listen, we don't want to degrade. You are buying this. You're simply buying it at a discount. They want, we want people to know that they have a stake in this, all right? That you can buy this and it be yours. You earned this. You purchased it. You bought this for your children. You provided. But it was sort of a work for welfare program, which is that you got to go and do the work. You got to go and bring the money but we're simply discounting it down for you. This is kind of what gleaning was. Leaving the edges, leaving the scraps so that people could come by and make something. Now listen, it was hard work. They had to go and gather it. It wasn't easy. And sometimes it was even dangerous. 
but it was an offering to them <clears throat> so that they could eke out a living amount of food. Now enter Naomi and Ruth. Naomi and Ruth belonged to this class of gleaners. They were both widows. They were in poverty. And so Naomi, perhaps either aged or beyond the gleaning age, or maybe she's unable, or maybe I think more likely that she is depressed and in despair, still, by the way, bitter over her circumstances, she sends out Ruth to go and glean for them. And so Ruth steps out in faith that there was a generous and God-fearing landowner who would make room for the poor. So if you're taking notes this morning, this is what I want you to see, and you can, you can write these things down if you choose or just listen to them, is that we're going to see in the title of today's message is Grace, Where Faith and Favor Collide. Grace, Where Faith and Favor Collide. That God is at work, right? He's at work. But there is a requirement of the faith of His people so that we can run into the favor of our God. The first way that we're going to see this is faith is active, not passive. Faith is active, not passive. Though clearly a woman who had come to trust Israel's God, we saw that last week in verses 16 and 17 of chapter 1, where Ruth makes this amazing confession, which by the way, I told you it was in my wedding vows. I was right about that, by the way. I wasn't wrong. I'm thankful because those things are important, right? Uh, That was in my wedding vows, and I'm, I'm sure it was in yours as well. Your God, my God, your people, my people, you know the gig. I said all that because this woman, Ruth, had clearly come to trust in Israel's God. Ruth doesn't just then come into chapter 2 and sit on her hands and wait for God to drop food in her lap. She does something. Her faith mobilizes her to work. We see this in verses 2 and 3. And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, Let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after him in whose sight I shall find favor. And she said to her, go my daughter. So she set out and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers. And she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the clan of Elimelech. Now we're in on something that Ruth is not yet in on, and that's that Naomi and Boaz are related. But Ruth doesn't know that yet, okay? So it says in verse 3, so she went out and she gleaned in the field of the reapers. And she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to this guy named Boaz, who was of the family of her mother-in-law's husband. Now remember, Ruth was not from around there. She's a Moabite, and so although she's among the people of Israel, really they wouldn't consider her to be one of them. And so she left her home of Moab, hoping that she would find a favorable, or rather her home in Israel now, and find a favorable landowner. And unbeknownst to her, she came to one field in particular that belonged to her mother-in-law's deceased husband's family. Well, we saw in verse 3, this little phrase, and it doesn't mean much in English, but I want you to check it out. At the halfway through verse 3, it says, and she happened to come to Boaz's field. We would understand that to be translated in this way. As luck would have it, that's what it means. As luck would have it, it just so happened that this was the land of Boaz. It's an ironic statement, and we would even say culturally, this would be kind of like a, an elbow bump from the author. Huh, it just so happened, kind of like that. It just so happened that this used to be, or this happens to be, of their family. This reminds me of uh, when I was a kid. <laughs> I don't know if you guys had parents like mine, but man, this was just, this is just classic my father, alright? It seemed like every Christmas when we would be opening presents and there would be like, we'd, be, we'd get done and we all had kind of this hopeful feeling. We was like, man, we didn't, we got all these great things, but we didn't get that one thing that we all asked for, you know? And then my dad's like, you know, he's got his coffee cup and he's got his lounging pants and he looks real old school. You know, he's got the the scruffy beard. and He's like, 
What's that? There's still one way up under there. Why don't you look up under that tree? What is that down there? You know what I'm talking about? If you guys had real corny parents like mine, you know what I'm talking about. And so you're like, well, wait a second, what's that up under there? I say that to say that's the kind of what we're seeing from the author here. Well, wait a second. This happens to be Boaz's field. There's something that's being done behind the scenes here. That God is at work. It's not a coincidence. It's phrased as that, but it's irony. Of all the fields belonging to all the families in this city, she comes to the one belonging to this wealthy, God-fearing member of Naomi's family. And even more, quote-unquote, coincidental, this elbow you know, bump, is that Boaz decides on this of all days to make the trip from the city of Bethlehem to the countryside to check on his field. Verse 4. And behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem, and he said to the reapers, those that are gathering the grain, the Lord, notice the capitals, all caps, that's the proper name, Yahweh, our God, God be with you. And they answered, well, the Lord bless you. God be with you. No, God be with you. And so Boaz already has been identified in verse 1 as a worthy man, and now he is portrayed as honored as a God-fearing man by those who work for him. Look at verses 5-7. through seven. Then Boaz said to this young man who was in charge of his reapers, so their boss, he says, whose young woman is this? Notice the word whose there. Whose young woman is this? Obviously motioning to Naomi and this, or to Ruth. He says, and the servant who was in charge of the reapers answered, she's the young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. She said, earlier he's saying, she said to me earlier, please let me glean and gather among the sheaves after the reapers. So she came and she has continued from early morning until now, except for a short rest. I told you right there, I said, notice that word, whose, whose woman is this? Notice that, that Boaz doesn't say, who is this? He doesn't ask for her name. He says, whose woman is this? Which maybe it feels a little weird on our ears, but this is what that question means. Where does she fit into society? Where does she come from? What family is she a part of? Where does she fit into society? And the paraphrase from the guy that's in charge, uh, the guy that Boaz has put in charge, essentially says, she's an outsider. She doesn't really belong anywhere. She has the reputation, we already know, based on what he says, that she has a reputation of care for Naomi and renouncing her cultural religion. But what he's saying is, well, hey, she doesn't really belong anywhere, but she has worked her tail off all day in our field. We saw last week that Ruth chose hardship over comfort because she trusted that God would provide for her needs instead of her culture back in Moab. But she doesn't just sit back and wait for that to happen. Faith isn't passive. She's in action. She's mobilized. She's putting into work what we see in Philippians 2, verses 12 and 13, that you are to work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both to will and to work for His good pleasure. This is what's happening. She's not just sitting on her hands. She's been mobilized by her faith. You see, faith doesn't mean simply sitting around and waiting for blessings and provisions to fall in your lap. Faith doesn't look like you're just saying, you know, uh, I don't know, if I just trust God enough, then I'll make good grades. No, you better study and trust that God will bless your study. Faith doesn't just say, well, you know, if I just, you know, believe that God will, will, will get, put someone in my life that can be a, a good relationship or maybe a spouse or, you know, if, if I just, you know, am, am faithful enough, then God will do that. No, pray for that person. Seek them out. Take care of yourself even. Well, if I just, 
you know, hope that God will do the right thing, then I'll have good friendships in my life. No, there's, you have to be mobilized. Seek those friends. Pray that you, God would put good friends in your life. Some of you guys have children that do not love the Lord. And you think, God, I'm waiting for you to do something about this. Or maybe you're raising children right now and you're like, well, I hope that God, you know, grabs hold of their heart one day. That's silly, isn't it? Faith mobilizes you. Invest in your children. Pray for your children if they are estranged from the Lord. Yes, God is in control. Yes, He is sovereign. And yes, He is the one that is ultimately at work. But don't you understand? God uses the means of the faithfulness of His people. If Ruth would have just sat on her hands and said, well, maybe God will deliver us some food on our doorstep, she and Naomi would have starved. Faith mobilizes us. Yes, God is in control, but be a person that is taking into consideration that you are to work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. In other words, we are called to do what we can, and as we do what we can, we trust that God will provide for our needs. That's what's happening in the passage. Trusting that God will do what God does, and we're going to do what we can do. heard one person say, you got to get out from under the umbrella to get rained on. One of the ways that we see this fallacy in our culture of let go and let God, I just think that that really handicaps our faith, church. If you just let go and let God do it, that's not what you're called to. Trust God is going to do what He does. But be faithful and work out your faith with fear and trembling. Let go and let God would have starved Naomi and Ruth. But instead, Ruth sets an admirable example of faith by trusting God while doing what she could do to be obedient. Sort of a good transition to what's going to be the second way that we see grace where faith and favor collide. Number two is this, that faith looks for God's hand through ordinary means. Faith looks for the hand of God through ordinary means. Faith looks for the hand of God through ordinary means. What we're going to see next is the very first interaction between this wealthy Bethlehemite named Boaz and this poor foreigner named Ruth. And so really, I mean, some of you guys are thinking, well, finally, we're finally to the part of Ruth that I know about is that this relationship between Boaz and Ruth. Well, let's look at it because this is really important. Look at verses eight and nine. Then Boaz said to Ruth, now listen, my daughter, do not go to glean in another field or leave this one, but keep close by my young women. Let your eyes be on the field that they are reaping and go after them again, gleaning, picking up their leftovers. Have I not charged the young men not to touch you? In other words, what he's saying is, I have charged the young men not to touch you. You're going to be kept safe. And when, they are, when you are thirsty, go to the vessel and drink what the young men have drawn. What's happening here is that Boaz is essentially saying, glean here, take up harvest, pick up things here, don't go anywhere else. You'll be fed here. This is important. You'll be fed here and you'll be protected here. Very important. Verse 10. Then she fell on her face bowing to the ground and said to him, why have I found favor in your eyes that you should take notice of me since I am a foreigner? This is a vital verse that says much of what we've been seeing behind the text the last two weeks is that's culturally in Ruth's view and surely in her experience, she has not been met with blessing and honor by God's people in Israel. She's a Moabite. She doesn't belong there. And so her response to this, to be so overwhelmed by the favor of one of God's people, is clearly something that she has not experienced often at all. So essentially what she says is that, why 
Why are you doing this? Why are you being so favorable toward me? Look at verses 11 through 13. But Boaz answered her, All that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me, and how you left your father and mother and your native land and came to the people that you did not know before. The Lord, check this out, this is a wishful blessing, the Lord repay you for what you have done. And a full reward be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. 13. Then she said, I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, for you have comforted me and spoken kindly to your servant, though I am not one of your servants. In other words, Boaz has looked beyond Ruth's status as a foreigner into her heart as a woman of faith pursuing righteous living. He pronounces on her not just his own well wishes, but based on her reaction, what was probably the first well wish of divine blessing from God that she had received among her new people. And the interesting thing about this is that Boaz essentially will himself become the answer for his own prayer for Ruth. He himself will become the answer for his own prayer for Ruth. That God will use him Through Boaz, God's hand will be at work to provide and restore his people. Through Boaz, God's hand will be at work to provide and restore for Naomi and for Ruth. So essentially what Boaz is saying here is, because of your faith, may God feed you, may he provide for you, and may he protect you. Now you know the title of this whole series in Ruth, Redeemer, Provider, Restorer. This is what's already happening in this man. He's he's speaking a well wish of divine blessing. May God be your protector provider. May he be your restorer. May he be your provider. Well, the interesting thing, like I said, is that Boaz himself will be the vessel through which God does this. He says in verse 12, may God give you reward for your faithfulness. In other words, may he give you provision. May he put food on your table and may he put a roof over your head. Well, guess what? It's exactly what Boaz is about to do. Boaz is about to be that provision, and God is going to use him to do that. He then said, or uh, Ruth says in verse twelve, that I found refuge or comfort in verse thirteen. Boaz says, "May you find refuge." She then says, "I found comfort." In other words, what's happening here is that he is saying, "May God restore you." May he give you refuge. May he give you restoration. And then Ruth turns right around and says, "You have given me comfort." Church, is God in control? Yes. Yes, He is. And if you believe that, then He is totally worthy of our praise when He proves to you that He is in control. If He proves that, He is worthy of praise in that very moment. Every ounce of internal and external comfort that you have been given, especially the ordinary means of comfort. Those things are means of God's grace. You know what? You did the interview and you got your job. But you know who provided your job? God provided your job. Ordinary means, but it's the hand of God behind these things. Who bought your car? You bought your car. But God gave you that money, didn't He? Who gave you a family? I won't get into the details, but you gave you a family. But who gave you a family? God gave you a family. Who gave you your health? Yeah, you took the medicine. God gave you your health. Who gave you your food? God gave you food. Who gave you your safety? 
God gave you your safety. Who gave you your church? God gave you your church. Who gets the glory? God gets the glory. If you really believe that he's in control, then you really believe that he provides for your needs. And if he is those things, and if he does those things, then every ounce of internal and external comfort that you have been given is a means of God's grace. And because of that, he is worthy of your praise. But there's a flip side of this. Two sides of the same coin, right? On one side, we see and we say, man, I need to be like Ruth. Give God glory for the fact that he has provided and provided me comfort and provision. But you can also be Boaz in this story. Here's what I mean by that. We should emulate Boaz in that he is the means of God's grace to someone else. Church, you can be the ordinary means of God's grace to the people in your life every day. And I would suggest to you, look for ways to do that every day. It cannot be understated how far a just a text message can go of saying, I am thankful for you. Ordinary means. I have been so comforted by people just saying the smallest things and they go a long way. And I have memories from when I was just a little guy because someone was an ordinary means of God's grace in my life. Compliment someone's character when you see it. Thank people sincerely. And by the way, Thank people specifically for what they have done in your life. Tip well when you eat out. Ordinary means. Ordinary means. But it's a means of God's grace that you can be a provisionary of. Tell your kids you're thankful for and proud of them. Tell your parents that you're thankful for and proud of them. It's just such small things, but they're ordinary means of God's grace. We can do that for one another by the hand of God. It requires faith to see it, which is what this point is, that faith looks for the hand of God through the ordinary means. By faith, we see these things. Ruth, by faith, saw these things. It was God at work and that she was a recipient of it. Faith is looking for it and looking for opportunities to then be it. Boaz was a means of God's grace to Ruth. And so what Ruth essentially says is, hey, in verse, uh, what is it, verse, verse 13, I don't work here. <laughs> she says, I'm not one of your servants, and yet you've made me one of your servants. What she's saying is, I don't work here, and I don't live here. I don't belong, and yet you treat me as one of your own. And guys, there are heavy gospel implications here. I don't belong here. I'm not part of this group, and yet you have included me. Which is the third thing that I want you to see in this passage. That faith is anchored in the gospel. Faith is anchored, it's held steadfast in place by the gospel. The favor of Boaz just continues to literally and figuratively pile up. And he is clearly the vessel through which God is pouring out his grace on not just Ruth, by the way, but on Naomi as well. And so they take a lunch break. (laughs) Just take a lunch break. He says, hey, bring your your bread over here. Bring your morsel and dip it in the wine. Let's just have a feast together. She doesn't even belong in this group of people. We just said that, but she's being given a seat at the table by those that do belong. Look at verses 14 through 16. And at mealtime, Boaz said to her, come here and eat some bread and dip your morsel in the wine. So she sat beside the reapers. Those are the people that belong in in this, this group of people. And he passed to her roasted grain and she ate until she was satisfied. So there's a heavy metaphor there. She ate until she was satisfied and she had some left over. Even When she rose to glean, again in the afternoon, 
Boaz instructed his young men saying, let her glean even among the sheaves. So a, a place of privilege and do not reproach her or get on to her. And also pull out some of your, some from the bundles, what you've already reaped, pull out some from the bundles for her and leave it for her to glean and do not rebuke her. Do not tell her she's doing what she's not supposed to do. In other words, there's a couple of things I want you to see here. First of all, eating to fullness is so much of the norm of our lives that we totally miss what a blessing this is in the life of Ruth. You eat to fullness probably, if I had to guess, just about every meal. And maybe you shouldn't, Caleb. Okay, You eat to fullness just about every single meal, and you think, man, I am fully satisfied. Sometimes you even have to unbutton the shirt a little bit and say, okay, i got to stop. You eat to fullness. And listen, that's a provision of God's grace. I'm not trying to take away from that, but I want you to understand how rare that is. Not just back then, it's rare today. That people can eat every meal to fullness. It's very rare back then. And Ruth has eaten to fullness. It says she is satisfied. And we mistake that for the grace of God that it is. Ruth knew this privilege. And so then it's time to go out and work again. Boaz then commanded his men to be deliberately careless in their harvesting. That's what just happened. He says, take some of your bundles and just leave them. Oops. That's what he said. Oops, I accidentally dropped some food here. That's what he's telling them to do. Hey, be a little bit careless in your harvest so as to leave some for this woman that I'm finding favor with. Look at verse 17. So she gleaned in the field until evening. Then she beat out what she had gleaned, and it was about an ephah of barley. That's about 29 to 50 pounds. Okay, I know that's a big range, but that's about the best that we can do. 29 to 50 pounds. Several weeks worth of food for these two women. It would be, comparably speaking, it would be like a giant bag of dog food, but not dog food. All right. I might have this big 70 pound. Is 70 pound? Weimaraner. He's a big, dumb animal. He's actually very smart, but he, he really wants me to get on to him sometimes, it feels like. Anyway, uh, but his, do- his bags of dog food are so massive and they're heavy. And, you know, you got to bring out the big guns to be able to pour that stuff in the thing. I'm just kidding. I'm really weak and pathetic. But, um, these big bags, that's kind of what's happening here is that Ruth, listen, Ruth has to be a hoss, y'all, because this is no small, small bag of food that she's got. She's got a bunch of food that she has harvested herself, gone out and found, but it is absolutely the favor of Boaz. Look at verse 18. And she took it up and went into the city. Again, she's a hoss, man. Her mother-in-law saw what she had gleaned. That's Naomi. Saw what she had gleaned. She also brought it out and gave her what food she had left over after being satisfied. So she brought her what she harvested. She also brought her her leftover lunch. And you can understand Naomi's surprise when Ruth walks in with all this stuff. Look at verses 19 through 23. And her mother-in-law said to her, Where did you glean today? Where'd you get all this stuff? And where have you worked? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. She doesn't know where he, she's been. So she told her mother-in-law with whom she had worked and said, the man's name with whom I work today is Boaz. Ooh. And Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, may he be blessed by the Lord. What she's saying is the Lord whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. Naomi also said to her, the man is a close relative of ours, one of our redeemers. And Ruth the Moabite said, Besides, he said to me, he also said to me, You shall keep close by my young men until they have finished all my harvest. And Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, It is good, my daughter, that you go out with this with his young women, lest in another field you should be assaulted. So keep going back. So, verse 23, She kept close to the young women of Boaz, 
gleaning until the end of the barley and wheat harvests. And she lived with her mother-in-law. I'm going to reread verse 20 because it's really going to be where we anchor. The last verses we're going to kind of use to transition into next week. But look at verse 20 again. This is very important. And before I even read it, listen, remember who Naomi is. Remember the last part of her story that we've read. Bitter, angry, empty. Look at verse 20. And Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, May he be blessed by the Lord, whose kindness, God's kindness, has not forsaken the living or the dead. Now hold on a second. The kindness of God? The same woman that just said, Cursed be God because He's taken everything from me. He's been so kind. Blessed be God because He's been kind. He hasn't forsaken, hasn't turned His back, in other words, on the living or the dead. The man's a close relative of ours. One of our redeemers. There's so many things that's being said here. If you've been to the last two weeks or listened to the podcast, then you know how amazing this moment is for Naomi. She is gone. Her name means pleasant. But she went, She came home after the death of her husband and her sons. She told the women there, call me Mara. Call me bitter. My life is not pleasant. It's terrible. My life is miserable. She even tells Ruth and Orpah, her other daughter-in-law, don't come with me because your life will be miserable too. Bitter. Unpleasant. But this is the same woman that went away full and became empty in her terms that the Lord, she says, gives him credit, by the way. He has been kind and he has remembered the living and the dead. I'm going to pause for a second. This is what she means by that. He has been kind to us who are alive, the living, me, Naomi, and you, Ruth. God has been kind to us and, listen, he has been kind to our dead men. He has not forsaken. He hasn't turned his back on us. And he hasn't turned his back on our dead husbands. My dead sons. Now we'll get more into this next week. But in Boaz, God not only met their immediate needs, their food needs. He was preparing them to be redeemed by a redeemer, a purchaser, who would reinstate ownership of their land, and more importantly, the possibility of children to continue the lineage of their family. Now, I can't overstate the importance of that, but we're going to talk about it next week. In other words, what I want you to see this week is Naomi sees now the hope of seeing her empty circumstances that she blamed on God, filled by that same sovereign God. This is beautiful. The same God that she blamed for her situation, she is now bestowing blessing because He is filling her situation. All because a Redeemer named Boaz invited a poor, foreign outsider to sit at His table. Christian, God doesn't just allow you the distant sinner, reluctant admission to glean in His field. He invites you to be seated at His table. He doesn't just extend a visitor's stay. He extends adoption into His family. How does He do this? This is so important. Hear me say this, church. He does this because a Redeemer stepped from light into darkness and sought out the foreigner. His name is Jesus the Christ. And He saw you in your hopeless state. And He died for you.
and our Redeemer lives. He's the Redeemer like Boaz who pursued us in our hopeless emptiness, who purchased us with His blood in our helpless state. Guys, this is the truth of the Gospel and we see it on display thousands of years before it even occurs. And that is that this man Boaz is a Redeemer, one that's coming to restore and to provide for this person that is estranged from God. That's you, isn't it? Estranged from God, an enemy of God because of your sin. You come into this world forsaken from Him because you have sinned against Him. You aren't a good standing with Him because He is a holy God and you are anything but that as a human being. But God intervened. He sent a Redeemer into your helplessness and into your hopelessness. And that Redeemer said, I am welcoming you to my table and I'm going to purchase you by my blood. Christ is your Redeemer. And we're here celebrating that today as the church of Jesus Christ. And hear me say this. It's not just, wouldn't it be enough if we were just servants in the house, given just a little bit of access to God's kingdom? No. Guys, you aren't just getting crumbs from below His table. That would be more than you deserve. But in Christ You are a co-heir of the kingdom of God. He is a restorer and He is a provider for the one who belongs but has become foreign, Naomi, and the one who is a foreigner who seeks belonging in Ruth. That's our story. Daily we feel like Naomi, don't we? Belonging but also daily feeling like a foreigner. Falling away from the grace of God, I feel like. Sinning and hurting my standing before Him. But don't you know that God sits there wanting you and welcoming you and saying, you're mine. Come home. And Ruth, the foreigner, who went way far off, worshiping her own false gods and idols, and God pursues her and says, Come home. Which one are you? At one time or another, we're both. Are you a child of God who, like Naomi, if you're just honest with yourself, has begun feeling empty? Yeah, you're at right standing with God. But you just feel empty. Your heart's not in it. You feel bitter. Maybe what it seems like in this passage is that you just feel in despair. Forsaken. And maybe it's by your own doing, like it was for Naomi. Caught in a pattern of sin that has made you feel so foreign to God. And that you wake up each day almost miserable because you know that there's something standing between clean fellowship with you and your Lord. And though you're in the house, you just feel foreign to Him. If that's you, I need you to hear this. He has redeemed you. And that you don't stand on your own two feet, but on the shoulders of a crucified Christ. You're not good enough. And that's the point. Your standing before God will never be based on your effort. And that's the point. And so daily wake up and don't say, can I do it today? Say, Jesus did it for today. That you could be at peace with Him. That you could live a repentant lifestyle. Daily confessing and saying, Lord, I'm leaning daily on the work of Christ because I just ain't got it. That's where fullness lies. He is your restorer and your provider. Philippians 4.19 says it this way, God will supply every need of yours 
according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. It's good news. I think most of us sometimes feel like Naomi, but there's hope in that. Or maybe you're like Ruth today. That if you're real honest with yourself, you're foreign from the family of God. You've never come to a place in your life where you have truly believed in Christ and confessed your sin and been welcomed to the table. You're feeling the draw to surrender and make His family your family. I need you to hear this. That He has a seat at His table for you. Not as a sinner, but as a child of God. Notice that Ruth didn't have to make herself look like royalty to be seen by her God-sent Redeemer. She looked messed up, man. She'd been busting her tail all day in the field. She looked rough. She looked foreign. Ruth didn't have to make herself look like royalty to be seen by her Redeemer. Neither do you. Come as you are. You don't do the work of cleaning up. You do the work of placing your faith and trust in the Christ who can. And so today, whether you're Naomi or Ruth, whether you're belonging but feel forsaken and feel foreign, or whether you are foreign, feeling the draw of belonging, submit, fall on your face, and glory in your Redeemer. Let's pray. We want to thank you for listening to this week's message. We would love for you to join us on Sundays at 10 a.m. as we seek to make much of Jesus and love above all else. For more information, you can find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash the Spring Hill Baptist.